Hello and welcome to The Global Citizen. I'm your host Jason, and in today's episode I had the pleasure of speaking with Ipshita Chatterjee, whose name I hope I'm pronouncing correctly, again. <laughs> um, Ipshita is a human geographer interested in the economic, cultural and geopolitical impacts of globalization. Her current research focuses on urban transformation, particularly exploitation of labor in the context of outsourcing and formalization, class, ethnic and racial segregation, gentrification and the politics of urban renewal in globalizing cities. She is also a prolific author, and the topic of today's conversation actually draws from her most recent book, titled The Alt-Right Movement, Dissecting Racism, Patriarchy and Anti-Immigration Xenophobia. So as you can imagine, we talked a lot about the alt-right, how it began, how it grew to its current form, and how its proponents tend to perceive the world around them. A very interesting breakdown of its whole ideological background in general. Uh, we also talked about the role of the internet as a driver of alt-right ideology, but also as a potential remedy against it. So please stay tuned for part one of the full conversation, because we went on for a really long time, so I'll be publishing this in two parts and I hope you enjoy. Hello, Ipsita. Welcome to The Global Citizen. <laughs> Hi, Jason. It's great to be here. Happy to have you here. So could you, before we begin, I'll ask you the question I ask every time. I'll ask you to give a small introduction of yourself to the audience. Okay, I am Ipshita Chatterjee. I am an associate professor in the Department of Geography, University of North Texas. And my specific field of work is globalization, social movement, labor, women, um, social justice issues. Um, and that's what I teach. And I've written books on these issues as well. All right, perfect. So what we're going to be talking about today is well, based off of a book that you've uh, just written. It's about the alt-right, which is something that I understand you are very well versed in. Its rise, how it was born, how it has affected uh, global discourse. So I'd like to begin by asking you, how does the alt-right kind of conceive of its identity, right? So it's a global movement that is against globalism, which sounds like kind of a paradox. And there's a lot of other discontinuities within it as i've experienced it right because i'm not i'm not an expert on the subject at all i've just you know encountered it on the internet as a young person also so could you give us a bit of an intro into the whole concept the whole ideology so my book is called the alt right movement dissecting racism patriarchy and anti immigrant xenophobia and the alt in the alt right is alternative right so the way they situate themselves is that we are very different from the mainstream right. And so it is, you're right, it's an internet-based movement that spans uh, continents. Mainly, I would say, it's Europe and America. Um, however, they are very uh, specific in saying that we are not part of the Bush-era neoconservative uh, movement. So they're alternative to the mainstream right in the sense that they're um, imagination and the ideology they propound is not so much about spreading global democracy or finding oil fields elsewhere or spreading neoliberalism and free market. Uh, they are more inward looking in terms of how they conceive the white nation. And so okay. the globalization of their ideology 
is the globalization of a very particular context of whiteness. And um, uh, that is how they conceive their identity. And so there is a, an unholy symbiosis, if you will, of the idea of America based off the idea of Europe. And so the whiteness is seen as a specific ethno-racial compound which uh, emerges out of European tradition. And they keep highlighting this, that it comes out of the European tradition. So Americans are um, descendants of white Europeans. And so it is that ideology that is being revisited. So by that logic, it means that all those other things that doesn't fit into that core ideology of um, whiteness is the other of the alt-right. And so they are different from the mainstream right in the sense that they're not interested in the larger geopolitics of uh, global war and uh, environmentalism and spread of capitalism and the like. So they are alternative to the right. And so by right, they are talking about the, the revival of a very specific kind of white ideology. Uh, and therefore, anything that is outside off of it, uh, whether it is brownness or blackness, so it, any other ethno-racial identity or uh, even womanness. So even um, being a woman to a certain extent is out of it. So it's white male, ethno-racial European American um, and also, it's a code for Judeo-Christianity. So it's a Judeo-Christian whiteness and in the American context, maybe Protestantism, uh, although this is not overtly brought out, but when it constructs its core, it is definitely othering uh, the Muslim, uh, definitely othering other kinds of religiosities. So by that logic, we can say it is also uh, the Judeo-Christian white, male, Anglo-European, ethno-racial compound, whatever that means. And so for me in the book, uh, it was a quest to construct, reconstruct the soul of what that means. Okay, okay. So um, you talked a lot about othering and the other, right? So that I, I think that's super interesting and I would like to get into that. So how exactly does the alt-right conceive of itself in terms of that other? I mean, it's a movement that is xenophobic and racist and intolerant, but there seems to be a sense of coherence within it. So how, what are the fine lines that define who is us and who is the other? I think it's a great question, and I think that was the philosophical motivation behind the book. And it is... Uh, of course, on the surface, you describe it right. It is xenophobic and it is racist and it is ethnocentric. And uh, I see that as the sensational characterization of the right. And mm -hmm. in many ways um, in this book, I should say the sensational characterization of the alt-right. And in many ways in this book, I wanted to understand the alt-right from a more humane perspective. That what is this process of othering? Is it uh, an ideological political uh, uh, reaction or is, is there a human component um, behind how we other and why we other? And uh, therefore, I wanted to understand it from that perspective. It is very easy to marginalize fringe groups by saying, oh, they are crazy, or they are filled with toxicity and hate, and they don't deserve analysis. Uh, but the point is, uh, there is a, a right revival in the world in whatever context you see it, whether it is uh, the 
Indian Democrats or the Golden Dawn or um, you know other such anti-immigrant movements in the Europe, rise of um, right politicians in power, whether in Italy or whether we're talking about Marine Le Pen's uh, rise of you know uh, into prominence, Trump or Modi. So there is um, a right-wing fervor. And in my mind, these are just brands, you know, right and the left. These are ideological branding. One is the other of the other. And so in academics, othering is usually understood as a process of projection. So how you construct your own identity and how you project it in the world. And your projection is seen as a clash against identity of others who are projecting their identity. So it is that process that I wanted to understand. And it is very easy to say, well, they are one dimensional, hate filled and toxic. And in my mind, however, these are not specific irrational movements that erupt in certain periods in history. I think these are societal projections that come out of fear of groups in society. Where does hate come from? I think hate is just a superficial projection of inherent fear lying within individuals and then in larger collectives like group. Whatever you fear, you want to hate because you want to hide your fear by saying that the other is worthy of hate. Why is the other worthy of hate? Because the other is not like me or like my society. Why is it not like me? Well, it could be because the skin color is different, the religion is different, the way they go about their life is different. But uh, why is it deserving of hate? Because the other is probably trying to consume my way of life. So that mm. is that is the inherent fear that I will be lost if the other is allowed to project more. And so I think this process is normal uh, this the struggle between me and the other is normal in individuals, in families, in friendship dynamics, in societies. Uh, and I think they rise to prominence and become amped up in their degree when they feel comfortable, when the sociopolitical environment is such that people reacting out of fear, they feel that it's a comfortable moment for me to project and annihilate the other they do it more. I think it is always there, but it gets amped up in moments. Oh, okay, we have the rise of Trump populism. Now I feel comfortable enough to make apparent the fear and hatred that has always lain low. So that is the process. And so um, identifying the other is identifying the opposite, which is the site of fear, which may or may not be real. So you are not born with this fear. You're not born with this hatred. It's a social programming of what you don't know. So if you grew up in a small white suburb and you went to a certain white church of a certain denomination, the sudden arrival of the Moroccan immigrant into your village or the sudden arrival of the Guatemalan immigrant in your village is the fear of what you don't know. And so the othering process is that negotiation, I think, of love and hate. And it is hard to love, but it is easy to hate what you don't know. And so you protect your fear of your identity by creating this otherness, which is the projection of what you're not. 
So that's more like a more of a philosophical um, dimension. And I notice when I look at these movements, and as you rightly characterize that these are movements that are sometimes very different from each other, but they have certain link logics. They are mainly internet-based, uh, and that's why they connect with each other. So for instance, you have really fringe groups in Europe called the Pegida, which is the patriotic Europeans for uh, fighting against Islamization of the Occident. <laughs> now notice the terms here, it's so potent. So they are fighting against a certain other. So it's the Muslim or Islamization of the Occident. Occident, what, whatever that means, so it's not West. So they're not just saying West, they're not saying Western Europe, they're not just saying Western Hemisphere. Occident, so there's a cultural logic. And so there's a fear that our cultural logic is impacted by Islamization. And if you try to understand what is this fear, well, the European alt-right groups have an existential angst when it comes to the immigrant others, especially the Muslim, because they see Europe as connected to the Middle East and Asia and the continent of Africa. And therefore, the walling is so important that we are easily penetrable. And so then the other becomes the immigrant and the Muslim. In the American case, it is more socioeconomic, I think. It is more about they're coming for our jobs because, mm. you know, the small town America is becoming ghost towns. All the jobs are outsourced to China. And so the threat is certainly the brown immigrant, but more uh, they are taking away the middle class American life. So there is a specific context to othering and they are different, therefore, and sometimes they don't agree with each other. Sometimes they don't agree with each other, but there is something they always agree upon, and it is this fear and it's hatred. So there's an organization called the Proud Boys Club in the U.S., oh, yeah, that. and that. it has plenty of chapters. And so they always hark back to feminism and the feminist. In this case, the feminist is the other. Although men, most of these people are heterosexual and married to women. But the woman is the other, but there's a characterization of the woman. So the feminist is a very masculine woman. The feminist is a fat woman. The feminist is an ugly woman. The feminist is a woman which has a lot of color in the hair. The feminist is a woman who goes to the university and, and it does queer theory. So there is a all the things that you're afraid of in a woman, you see? Right. That, that is what is projected. And then the opposite is this woman who's baking muffins and wearing aprons. And, and so yeah. this, this is the us. Traditional that, stay at home. Exactly. And, and then they have these women who also speak ideologically in alt-right conferences and blogs. And they are very strong and well-spoken women. So they're very carefully chosen. But they are very demure in the way they are dressed and their makeup and everything. So they project this idea of this family woman who can be strong as well. And they have to be in the right. So the assumption is that if you're a leftist or if you're a woman who's on, on the left of left, then you cannot be family oriented. Then you must be anti-kids. And then you must be this person who's angry and on the street. So it's a very careful crafting of what the other is. And it, it differs according to context, you know, for it's Proud Boys, it's the certain kind of woman. For Pegida, it's a certain kind of immigrant. And so one of the Pegida discourses uh, was that, oh, these immigrants don't know how to use the Western toilet because they uh, use a different way of defecating. And so that was one way of dehumanizing how you practice hygiene 
So again, you see, there is an Orientalism that is being practiced here because I don't understand their ways of life, how they brush their teeth or how they do their cleaning. And so it is around that that I must craft my identity as somehow superior. So right. difference, difference is not seen as a place of strength or something that I can tolerate and learn from. Difference is seen as problematic. And I think it is the attachment of your core fear to this difference that you don't really understand. So, um, you know, that is a little bit on uh, the question of othering and how it works. So there are different internet-based groups. Sometimes they don't agree and uh, their focus on othering is different. Sometimes they're specifically anti-immigrant. Sometimes they're anti-Muslim. Sometimes they are uh, anti-Hispanic uh, people. Um, sometimes they're even neo-Nazis, so there's uh, anti-Semitic. But there is a commonality, and the commonality is uh, this revival of a certain version of whiteness against all these other kinds uh, of identities that are characterized, according to them, by normal society as diverse. And mm. so they are threatened by diversity. It's a very ingenious crafting when they say, oh, well, diversity is not valuable because not all diversities should be celebrated in their mind because these diversities dilute who we are. And mm. so they reversely characterize the diversity and say, well, white itself is diverse. You know, there is European white and there's Nordic white and there's Italian white. And so the white itself is diverse. So why not value the diversity within white? Because this is the most superior form of, you know, cultural container. And other kinds of diversities are not to be valorized because they are somehow inferior or strange or terrorists or coming to take our jobs. And so there's a focus on revisiting diversity because they feel that progressives have claimed diversity and uh, they have popularized diversity as a good thing. And that is eating away into certain core values, you know, whether it is European values or white American values. And so you have to criminalize diversity by revisiting whiteness as already diverse. So there's so many layers of othering, Jason. It is uh, so interesting. Right. They are sometimes different. They fight with each other, but they are internet-based. That's one thing that's common. And there is um, uh, construction and projection uh, that is based on wall building, really, and metaphorically. Yeah. No, I find it so interesting. Like the macro emotions, if I may put it this way, like the macro emotional politics yeah. of how this whole thing works. It's all basically about identity and about how you see the world and about how you view yourself as opposed to the other. So in the realm of that emotional um, deciphering of this phenomenon, uh, could you talk a bit about the philosophical background and the ideological background of the whole movement more in depth, like the, the deep, deep origins of where this comes from? Because, you know, as you said, they have their own... Um, understanding of diversity let's say but there must be some connecting factors in terms of the ideas that they use as the basis the foundation of the movement you hit the nail on the head jason um there is the practice aspect of the othering um that is the politics of it what they write as discourse on their blogs and websites and then there is the spiritual and the soul dimensions of it which is the thought content behind their policies or praxis, if you will. 
And so in that, in my book, I wanted to understand how they know what they know, why they say what they say. And uh, you are characterizing it as emotion. And I think emotion is the link logic behind how we think about the reality around us, our world, mm. and how we act on it. And so emotion is that bridge. And uh, I was trying to, therefore, I looked into hundreds of speeches and blogs and discourses to see, do they themselves identify certain uh, public figures in history or certain philosophers? Where are they drawing the, the soul or the deeper basis of the political praxis that they are projecting into the world? And it's very interesting. Many of them draw from um, all kinds of philosophers, and some of them are from the left. It's, they are not you know, Nietzsche, Heidegger, etc., right into the French ident identitarian movement and uh, Alain de Benoit and uh, Julius Evola. And so there are folks like um, Richard Spencer who coined the name alt-right, and he says, um, using the term for matrix, that is the red pill, so when you eat the red pill, you choose to see reality in a certain way. And so you are suddenly awakened to the idea of the existence of the matrix. So your consciousness evolves. And so he said, says that he was red-pilled by Nietzsche. And so he uses a specific context from Nietzsche. And it is, and it is interesting. It's, it's like if you have nuclear codes in the hand of mad people. So when you have uh, philosophers and their ideas uh, used in an uncontextual way, it's ammunition. And so I looked back, I peeled back from their praxis to their philosophy, to the sole basis, if you will, of their ideology. And I looked into their, you know, the original script of Nietzsche and, and the things that they are borrowing from and Heidegger. And it's very interesting, the things that they're quoting from Nietzsche so there is a part, and I, I I want to read it out to you, and you'll understand. I mean, poor it. Nietzsche must be rolling in his grave since the beginning yeah, of the poor 20th Nietzsche. century. And so, like. <laughs> yes, and so it is. A, it's a very particular. It's teasing out, and so Nietzsche was writing in the context of enlightenment, and so he's mm -hmm. critiquing religion in a certain way. Of course, every philosopher has their blind side, and many of these philosophers happen to have blind sides in terms of gender, and they tend to be, you know, patriarchal in the way they constructed things. Uh, but it's interesting how and what is being used. And so if you look at this part of Nietzsche, in, and he's saying Christianity is called the religion of pity. Pity stands in opposition to all the toxic passions that, that augment the energy of the feeling of aliveness. It is a, a depressant. Pity thwarts the law of evolution, which is the law of natural selection. So essentially, this is the part they are harking on. So, you know, Nietzsche is critiquing religiosity but he's doing it in a very particular way he's saying that religiosity begets altruism and pity the word should have been you know empathy but he's using pity which is a, a kind of uh, you know negative way of if you will of empathizing and so this part of Nietzsche is that you know if you have pity then it challenges toxic passions then it is like a depressant as if toxic passions are a good thing but it is in a, in a very contextual way. And so these are things which are blown out of proportion by the alt-right. And so they characterize religion in a cer very certain way that uh, Christianity and Judeo-Christianity has become limp, has become depressed, mm. has lost its teeth. And it should be about plundering and conquering and, and the passions of pillage. 
And so this humility, this compassion, this is creating weak geopolitics of border porosity and pity mm. for the immigrant and pity for the climate and take hugging the trees. And these are seen as, you know, weak versions of geopolitics. Yeah. And so then extol Nietzsche and say, well, he is saying that this is problematic. So they are anti-religious and religious at the same time. So it is about revisiting Christianity, Judeo-Christianity, but has nothing to do with the words of Christ. So it's not about turning the cheek. If you are really religious, it's not about those things. So it is about using religion in a very specific way through the lens of Nietzsche. And the moment you say, oh, but Nietzsche did it. So you, you somehow give it a deep thought, a philosophical credibility to this ephemeral reactive hatred that you have and so this this is one way and uh, the other way the other things that they use all the time is the need for the western man to become a spiritual man mm. so they critique the idea of modernity and mechanization which a lot of people in the left and the progressive world do you know they critique modernity for its impact on the environment they critique modernity for its mechan mechanization and alienation but it's not that critique here it's the, the modernity and me mechanization has um, made us uh, satiated by the Netflix and the beer and the chips. So that is their criticism. So the Western man should get up from the couches and go for this deep spiritual quest to find himself. And finding himself is finding the white identity and then projecting into the world. So they co connect it with communism. And they say, well, the left has this high ideology of establishing a communist society. And the right should have this high ideology of finding the white ethno state. And so they are drawing these ideas of the spiritual man, you know, coming out of the works of, you know, Julius Evola, um, uh, who was the guru of the French identitarian movement. Uh, other people in the French identitarian movement were people like Alain de Benoit. And, and he was saying, well, ethnicity is good. We will have differences in the world. The differences are equal, but we should be separate. So there shouldn't be intermingling in terms of marriage or migration that weakens the white culture. Okay. And so, so the idea of the alt-right to have a white ethno state, that is the policy aspect of it, to have a state which is completely white, a nation state. Okay. And the soul, therefore, comes out of these uh, philosophers. So the emotional makeup, the macro emotion in the side conversation, Jason, that we were having, that there is this micro emotion, this macro emotion, it is fed by these the connection of their very superficial reactive anger and fear. They connect it to deeper thinkings and a deeper philosophical ideas uh, by drawing, you know, in a very decontextualized way from people like Heidegger, Nietzsche, Evola, Heidegger's idea of being and becoming, and so they are constantly saying you want to become something. You want to realize yourself. You have to realize yourself against the other, as you're saying, you exist because the other exists. But your existence is somehow more important. And your existence is somehow in contradiction, not coexistence with the other. Yeah. And so, and how do I know I know that, the alt-right says, is because I have all these philosophers who've said that about me about these, you know, the, the context of reality and how we comprehend it. 
And so that's why it is, it's not just, you know, a bunch of people storming the White House. A lot of it is that, uh, a bunch of people building the wall. But that is the problem of the left. We dismiss the right as having no philosophical basis. And so um, when you said emotion, I felt that this is exactly right. It is emotion and it is practice, but emotion feeds of the soul. And so the soul is being drawn from these deeper philosophical ideas.